0: hello mr Hey,
1: how you doing
0: buddy all right how you doing stevie fly how are you sir i'm good man just hanging
1: in
0: there look i know we don't have much time but first of all thank you so much for agreeing to do this i'm a big fan of uh of the band and uh like i said watching the watching you guys do the documentary that was that was a great documentary
1: Oh, thank you. Yeah, we had, that, that was a lot of uh it was it was a lot of fun making it was a lot of you know because of the story kind of unfolded.
0: <laughs> yeah,
1: as it was going, you know, yeah. we, were, we were kind of not making it up as we were going along, but we had no idea that you know that first singer we had wasn't going to work out, and that yeah. just continued the story on. And, you know, it's it's amazing how when you do it something like that and you're in the middle of it, you don't really realize how you know, how intense it can be to after you go back and watch it. So, yeah. I'm glad we were able to capture everything. And uh, I'm very pr- I mean, Frankie's wife, Regina, actually, you know, yeah, produced, yeah. directed it. Yeah, Did I, a really, really good job, you know.
0: She did. She did. And, you perfect. know, I, I just watched a video for In the Blood. She did she did that video too, right? Oh, she did that as well, yeah. yeah.
1: That, that, I mean, pretty impressive for someone, you know, I don't know how much she done before that. But, you know, I mean, I was... I mean, I was at the, when I finally saw all the whole thing put together, I mean, I, I, I fucking lived it, so that's one part, <laughs> but when I saw it, put, put on a screen, I'm like, this is pretty good. Yeah. You know, Even if you don't like the band, it's a good, she she told the story, you know, which is cool.
0: Well, I always think of, of a documentary, it, it's really impressive if you really don't like the band and you become a fan of the band, and I think you guys picked up some some fans from that documentary.
1: Oh, absolutely! And the fact that we were able to get it on Showtime—it was, was on Showtime for yeah. a year and a half. Yeah, it you know? was. I mean, you know, it's funny. Every every band, you know, of our, every band of our genre is. So we're making a movie too. We're gonna do this. You know what? Yeah, I haven't seen anyone else on Showtime. We were able to break down, break a ceiling there. You know, it's actually, you know, I, it went. I went a far further than I thought it would, because. You know, getting Showtime and everything, and and it won a lot of awards. It made it all the way to the yeah, the Cannes Film Festival in uh, in Paris. I'll tell you, that's, I'll, they don't just take anybody there. Yeah, for sure.
0: I'll tell you, I, I, I couldn't sleep one night, and I was flipping through the channels with Showtime, and I looked, and it was getting ready to come on, and that was like one thirty in the morning. I stayed up till like three thirty in the morning watching. Watching that, and I was like wide awake. It was. It wasn't like I was going. To, like I can't make it through it. It. I was wide awake. That was. Yeah. Of course, I DVR'd it. I've. I've still got a copy of it on my DVR right now. Um. Anyway, let's. I just. You know, we talked about the documentary. So, growing up, what was your first memory of music, and and who who was it that you really listened to when you were growing up? Um. You know, the
1: first. I mean, I'm 44, so I'm obviously a lot younger than the guys in Quiet Riot. Um, so, you know, my first, you know, influence is, you know, they kind of started in the late '80s when MTV, you know, when you become of age to get into, you know, rock and roll and MTV. And, right. I mean, my first, my first cassette tape, I think, was a Motley Crue record, "Girls, Girls, Girls." Oh, yeah. Um, and then I got, and then I got Appetite for Destruction, and then got into. Kids. I mean, I listened to. You know the, the the standards: Kiss, Aerosmith, Motley, Air, oh, yeah. Poison. You know, and then and then my first concert was Poison. Okay, um, and that was really you know changed everything. I wanted I wanted to be those guys, yeah. and I just literally that was once I saw that show, it was no turning back. I started growing my hair long, and you know, really taking you know started taking guitar lessons, buying my first guitar, and you know, just you know the usual suspects for my influences. I'm not. I wish I could say something cool like I was really into, you know, <laughs> Pat Metheny or some jazz guy, but no, poison. Nah. I want I wanted to be C.C. C. Deville. I, I don't. Nothing I was, wrong I with was that. Never into the, I, I yeah, I was never into the whole Steve I Triani thing. I it didn't appeal to me. It didn't. It just it just to me, it's like a guy watching someone who can type real fast or solve a Rubik's cube real fast. But it's 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 great that you can do that. But I'm not interested. Yeah,
0: I'm
1: not You're not entertaining me. Yeah.
0: You know? And I'm also a huge KISS fan, by the way. And my first concert was Poison. I think Tesla opened up for them in, I think it was, 88. That was, that was my first concert as well. Um, so what was, what was your first band?
1: My first band was, uh, I guess my first one that was legitimate enough to go out and play bars was a band called Wake Up Jack. Um, it was, and I started the band with a bunch of buddies from high school. A couple of the guys were older. So we were able to play bars, you know. They would they would book the show, and (laughs) we kind of sneak in and do it. And we, you know, we did covers, but we actually the drummer was very into into a lot of progressive music. So we did Dream Theater and Rush, which forced me to really up my game musically because that's a lot more. It's a lot more difficult to play that stuff. Yeah. So it 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 broadened my horizons. Um, And then after that, I ended up you know joining a band called Angry Salad that. Um, I met when I was going to Berkeley College of Music in Boston. Um, I went for two months and then dropped out to join a band, and then two months later that band got signed. So, you know, it's, it's, I, I I did go to Berkeley, but not for that long. <laughs> yeah, you got I guess enough. if you, I, guess I, I guess if you I guess if you finish Berkeley, you did something wrong. Usually, you're the, you're, usually you're, doesn't you're, work you're the, out major, too well. <laughs> well, you, yeah, if you graduate Berkeley, that means you do. You that means you were a, an available musician in a major city for four years that didn't get snatched up by a band. Something's wrong. Like, you know, something's wrong.
0: Yeah.
1: You you guys, know, I, I I don't.
0: No, go ahead. Go, go ahead.
1: ahead.
0: Go ahead. No, go ahead. I was just going to so say you guys got by. signed by Atlantic Records. Yep. And then the AOL Time Warner merger. uh Came along and and pretty much put that out, right?
1: It, yeah, I mean everybody. I mean, I mean that when that happened, we got signed. We put out um, to Atlantic, which pretty big label, and we spent a lot of their money making our record, and you know went on tour with like bands like Sugar Ray and the Goo Goo Dolls. We were that more like a pop band, and then when it came time to do the second record, AOL merged with Time Warner, and all of those Adla- uh, Atlantic, Electro, Warner Brothers records were all under the um, Time Warner umbrella, and unless you were Kid Rock or Matchbox 20, you're, they, they trimmed the fat, and we were, you know, we weren't selling the records that they expected, so they gave us a check to leave, and that's what we did. Happens every day. Yeah. So how did, how did well, you end up hooking
0: up with Quiet Riot?
1: Um, well, after the Angry Salad that whole thing dissolved, um, I decided that I had enough of the East Coast, and had kind of exhausted a lot of my resources there and said well fuck it time to move time to give LA a shot and I literally I, I, I joined a band called Ignite um, and literally just packed up and moved on living to the bass player and eventually that band you know it was a hardcore you know or you know a lot of hardcore bands Orange County wasn't really my thing so I decided to move up to Hollywood and I one night went to the Cat Club and I met Joe Leste the singer for Beautiful Creatures. And at that, at that time, DJ Ashford was leaving and he needed a guy. And he heard me play and said, you're, basically, you're hired on the spot. <laughs> and at, the, at that time, they were being booked by the same agency that booked Kevin Dubrow's solo tour that he was doing. Right. And Kevin Dubrow needed a guitar player and they gave me his phone number and I cold called him. And next thing you know, we're doing shows together. And a year later, when Quiet Riot got back together... Kevin said, "I want to bring Alex on board," and that was it. Well, I I got the gig to play with Kevin's solo band, and uh, that's it. wasn't There was no. It wasn't like a big audition thing or anything. I just kind of, it just kind. It happened very organically, and and then I you know got to know Frankie, and we toured, you know, nonstop until Kevin passed away. You know, pretty uh, pretty. Uh, it was pretty in pretty intense. you know, almost overnight, going from playing, in you know bar bands and whatnot to playing with, you know, sharing the stage with Twisted Sister and Quiet Riot and Water It and Dock It in front of 8,000 people. Wow. Pretty cool.
0: What was it like playing with Kevin?
1: Kevin was so, so great to play with because he, he took it very, he took the, the music very seriously and never mailed it in or he never let himself go. Like if you notice, I mean, when he passed away, he was in perfect health. Yeah, he was still in shape. He could, the voice was strong. He never became a parody of himself like some of these other guys. You know, like when when, when Elvis died, he was he oh was yeah heavier, and people yeah. remember that version. Kevin never let himself go. He took it very seriously, and he never phoned in a performance either. Even if it was was a club, he he gave it. He he was it was like he was playing an arena. Um, it was really positive he definitely taught me a lot and was and was- was and sometimes was was hard on me about things you know to, to, but it was also making a better player and a better um all around performer and uh you know he 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 held people to a pretty high standard but in the in the end that's what makes a band great It's like you don't you don't mail it in you know you, you want it to be good every night and, uh, and he was a fu- he was probably the funniest guy I've ever met. I mean, he was always- <laughs> He practicing. seemed that way. We, 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 what I
0: saw of him, he seemed we, that way.
1: Oh, he was always having fun. He, a, he, he loved life. Like, he just, you know, he did. He wasn't, he wasn't grumpy about things. It's, it, it's, you know, cause some, some guys, if the, if the show's not well attended, or, you know, it's in a bad part of town, or, you know, he, he was always, his philosophy was like, be, you know, playing it, playing a show is better than digging ditches. <laughs> you know, you know, a bad day at my job still a better than a great day at some people's job. So
0: yeah, so you
1: get a very good outlook.
0: You've been labeled the hardest working guitarist in show business because you've worked with so many. Jazz- well, I,
1: I would. I don't know if been, I. don't know if I've been labeled <laughs> that. Or if people say it. It, it, it was. It was on my Wikipedia page. Yeah. Um, that was. In, I think that was written in one of my early bios that someone wrote for me, but. Um, when I, when I first went to LA, I was doing the, you know, two or three auditions a day and, and learning, you know, 20, 30 songs at a time to, to maybe get a gig. I mean, I was right. literally going from audition to audition from, I mean, I got, you, you I mean, I got called to, to audition for Nine Inch Nails and then the next day I'd, I'd get an audition for, 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 um, you know, some, some El type band, you know, <laughs> all over the map. Um, and you know, ninety-nine percent of the time, you get rejected. So it thick, it thickens up your skin, and you know, I mean, auditions are work too. It's not just yeah. playing shows when you're trying trying to get the gig. Is harder than get the gig than doing the gig sometimes. So you know, it's, it's a lot of it, it is definitely a lot of work, and you know, you, you have to be willing to sacrifice a lot. Like I, one thing that that fucking really irritates me is when I talk to my you know friends from back home in Connecticut where I grew up. And they say, "Oh, bro, you're so lucky." I'm like, no, I'm not lucky. <laughs> I worked you my work ass your butt off for it. 20 years. Yeah, I, 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 missed all my friends' weddings. I missed my brother's graduation. I missed funerals of, of loved ones because I had I committed to you know, sold by soul to rock and roll. So we don't ever call me lucky. Lucky is finding a hundred dollar bill in the road. That's lucky.
0: <laughs> yeah,
1: I, what, what I did was fucking sheer freaking hard work musically that I don't think too many other people that I know could have pulled off because you got to really want it, man. I'll tell you that much.
0: Yeah, because you've worked with some let. I mean, just to name a few. You worked with Janie Lane from Warren, the late Janie Lane. You worked with Dizzy Reed, Stephen Adler. I mean, and, and the bands you put together like Hotel Diablo and now Hookers and Blow. I mean, you you've got things going on all over the place. That's why I think that that label may stick you with you as hardest working guitarist. Yeah, well, you yeah, you know what? The thing one
1: thing I've learned over the years: if you want it, if you want it done right, do it yourself. Yeah. Like I, I, I know a lot of great musicians that just sit around waiting for their phone to ring. And I got news to you, it doesn't work that way anymore. You have to make go out and make it happen. You know. Yeah. If you're sitting around and not networking and, and making yourself available to certain situations, you're you're going to be off the radar. You're going to your people are going to forget about you. You got to force yourself right into those situations and and you know, you know, make keep you know stay on people's radar. I mean, that's why I've been doing a lot of press. During the pandemic, because yeah, I I don't want to I want people I want people to remember who you know I'm still here, and that <laughs> and, and a lot of that has ended up in some pretty big things like, uh, Hustler Magazine just did a big feature on Hookers and Blow a couple of days ago they, they they put it together because um, they've been seeing our name in the press a lot and I I got called to do the Public Enemy Records a new one which is huge for me because wow rock and roll hall yeah the new the new Public Enemy yeah. I'm on. Uh, I mean, awesome. I'm friends with Flavor Flav out here because he lives out here in Vegas, but you know, I made sure that whenever I saw him, I let him go and it, and, and it finally it lined up. You know, if you don't, if you don't ask, if you don't put yourself out there, it's not going to happen. You know, so yeah. you gotta, if you see an opportunity, take it. Yeah.
0: So after Kevin passes away and the band disbands, but how, how different was it when you went back? To quiet, right? I mean, I know a lot of that's featured on the documentary, but how different was it without Kevin there? Yeah, I mean, it was because it was a
1: completely different deck because Kevin, you know, he was Kevin. Kevin and Frankie were the heart, were the heart and soul of that band, right? And Frankie, Frankie ran a very tight ship, and it was, in some ways, definitely a change because Frankie handled a lot of the business and the in organ, organizing things, but. You know, it kind of brought me Chuck and Frankie closer together because now it was us first of the fucking world trying to get a singer and prove that we can do this. Yeah. Uh, so it was, it was a different dynamic. It was it was more you know we you know you had to you know kind of look at things from a different perspective because you don't have that. It's kind of like if you you I mean having Kevin on that stage. It, it, it was choir riot, no doubt. Right. Without him up there, and it, especially with some of the singers that you know obviously didn't work out, it's almost like going out with a with a gun with no bullets in it. You know, like if you used to have a loaded gun on you, and then all of a sudden that loaded gun gets taken away, you don't have that. That you can't rely on. The, I mean, Kevin could always put on a show, and without him, made the main difference was he was not up there with us, so we were kind of out there, you know, or exposed. And more, uh, we had to step it up, you know, on our end. And it was just, you know, the camaraderie. I mean, Frankie definitely, definitely missed him. I mean, yeah. if we all missed him, but they, they had such a long history together. Yeah. It was, it was definitely tough for Frankie. I mean, I remember yeah, I, the first show we did, he, I could tell he was a little freaked out not seeing his buddy up there yeah. in front of him, you know, it's weird. And, and you know what? I never really, really understood it until now. That I turn around and don't see Frankie no and Kit. There. Now I totally get it. It's the same thing because I've 17 years I've been in that band and it was always Frankie and the Kit. Now first show we did without him, I turn around and it's Johnny Kelly, who's you know one of my best friends that I love, but it's not Frankie it's just, and it's just a certain wait. What this is? This is weird. You know this is really. It was even weirder with, Frank, with Frankie because you know I did four years of shows with kevin i did 17 years of shows with frankie yeah you know so yeah. it's definitely when you that there's a void there but if you know time does seem to heal everything i mean it'll never it'll never be the same because there's only one frankie finale but you know it, it, it things seem to settle you know with with everything in these situations so i'm optimistic that you know it's gonna it'll, it's gonna be what it's gonna be. And, and, Give, give it the
0: best version of myself that I can. Yeah, 'cause you, you and Chuck are pretty much the the veterans of the, of the group now. I mean, you got, uh, you got to carry on. And I, I, what was the reception like? 'Cause to me, when you guys put out there that you know Frankie wanted you guys to carry on quite right, what was the reception like? The majority of the reaction that you guys ah. got. I mean, you know, most
1: of the I, mean, I say about fifty-fifty, positive and negative. But you know, the, the negative are coming from people that aren't. They, they don't, these people don't matter, and I'll tell you why. Dave Ruth once said, "The loudest boos always come from the cheapest seats." Yeah, yeah. Meaning <laughs> those people aren't. They're not invested in you. You keep the people. The people that matter. It's been almost one hundred percent positive. And at the end of the day, we go out. We put on it. We. we you know, it's a great band. Johnny's a phenomenal drummer, and, you know, Frankie and him were friends. It was it was all with Frankie's blessing. Um, and, and honestly, I mean, you're going to have people that want the original lineup, but guess what? You're not going to get it. No. For whatever reason, when a band shows up and they've got a new singer or a new drummer, you know, it's usually because, well, in our case, these people have passed away. There's always a reason you don't get the original band. Maybe they don't get along with each other. Maybe they don't, one guy wants to retire. That doesn't mean the band shouldn't go on. I mean, when Dave Bruce died, the, did the Yankees call it a day? No. You know, or, or the Red Sox, whatever team he was on. I mean, it's, it's like a team. You know, it's, there's no difference between a sports team and a, and a rock band that's got a brand that's been around for 40 years and has these iconic phones. It's kind of the same thing. It's like people are going to die. Look, ten out of ten people are going to die, and if you've got a brand that people still want to hear after you know the key guys are gone, and you can pull it off, you are going to see more and more of it. I am telling you, right? You know, now none of us are getting younger, you know, and, and and these guys all have kids and grandkids and you know mortgages and you know, but if, if you need. I mean, if you work your whole life developing something, you want to, you know, you want to. It through, and if as far as people on Blabbermouth's opinion about it, all I could say is I'm flattered that I have a job cool enough for people to want to talk about because I'm certainly not going to a message board about you know uh, about someone who you know sells real estate. <laughs> you know, but that's the truth. All I'm going to say is, I guess I did something right because you're talking about my job on the internet and I don't know who you are, so exactly, mission accomplished. As yeah. long as you spell my name right, I don't care. And as long as you spell my name right, spell the band's name right, I don't care what you say. It doesn't matter because we're going to do what we're going to do regardless of what you do, what you say. We always have, I mean, they said we couldn't do it without Kevin. They, they said that we couldn't do it without Carlos and Rudy. When I, when, when, you know, in 2004, when the, you know, the version of the band that I was in, you know, set up shop, they said 17 years ago, oh, they're a cover band now. Okay. Then Kevin passes away. You start doing new singers. Oh, it'll never work. Now Frankie passes away. We have a new lineup. They're saying, those same people are saying it'll never work. have been saying that since the beginning of the time when it comes to this dance, you know? So, and, I, I mean, I, I think, I, I wish some of these people would realize that they should be, if you're truly a fan of this kind of music, you should be happy that we're doing this. Exactly. Hard exactly. Rock, hard rock is, 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 is we're, you know, we're, it's kind of to be, you know, it's, it's, we're not getting any younger and you know we'll get you know I'd hate to see it fade away and it, if bands don't continue on like we're doing it will go away yeah, right you know I mean it's a the, the 80s metal genre and music is people are it's, it's, it's legendary I mean it's, it defines a lot of people's lifestyles I mean it's, a, it's more than just the music it's a place and time that will never happen again so
0: but we should always be celebrated, you know? Oh, yeah.
1: And, uh, you know, I, I'm like
0: that. I, I do my my podcast, and we talked uh, on one of the shows about some of these bands back from the 80s, saying, well, nobody wants to hear new music from us. They want to hear the classics. And that's not so. I think ACDC pretty much proved that this year with their new album came out, and people just flocked to it. So, the more, the more bands from the '80s that put out stuff, and my, you know, my hats off to you guys. I, I've listened to Hollywood Cowboys. I'm a big fan of Hollywood Cowboys. That was a oh, great I appreciate album. That. Thank you. Yeah, that was a great album. Uh, but you know, the more bands that will put stuff out like this, that's the only way. That's the only way this is going to really come back and and not, like you said, exactly. not fade away. We got to have more bands. Yeah, you gotta, putting it out. Well, you
1: know what? You, you got to. It also. From an artistic point of view, especially when you have new members in, in these bands, it, it's evolution. Right. You know, and you can't rest on your. I mean, listen. Some bands in, of the genre have not put out new music in 25 years. They don't intend to. It's so fine. They're, they're going to. They're, they're they're still going to work. But from an artistic point of view, I think it's it definitely hinders your. You know, I mean, there's some, it's some being creative is. Is part of what we do, and even though it not, might not be as viable as it was back in the day, it's still growing as an artist, and you know, creating something. You know, right? Even if it only sells a couple hundred thousand copies, it's better than nothing. And and it's just it shows, you know, it, it shows you know, a, you know, a longer storyline. Like like there's, the the story's continuing. Every time you put out a new record, you just added more chapters to your story. You know because yeah, I mean, playing the state fair and the casino gigs are great, but those aren't those aren't um, marked in the history book. Right. When you put on a record, that's part of your history, your lineage, you know. Um, but it, again, it's up to I, I. I think it's really up to what band you're talking about. I mean, I know some guys definitely have no interest in it. Yeah. But they want to put on new music under a different name, but anytime they do that, all it is is like. So and so, new band featuring members of and the, the old band. Exactly. So why not just, why not? If just you're going to put out a, a band, an all star band featuring guys from Warren, Striper, Dawkins, and Skid Row, Well and use that as your main selling point for your new band, you're basically just cheapening a brand of that you, your, your real brand. Just put out something under, you know, you spend your whole life building a brand, you don't you know, use it, man. Yeah, that's I, I, exactly yeah. right. You're exactly right. So,
0: these dogs yeah, are going crazy. It's like, well,
1: it's just, it, it, it does, at the end of the day, no matter who you are, if you're associating with a big band, that's who you're, you're going to be the guy from that band, you know? I mean, I, it's like you, there's some guys that try to totally reinvent themselves and, you know, get away from the 80s, but at, at the end of the day, oh yeah, I you were weird. Whoa. Yeah, but no, I'm doing the two Oh yeah, that's the guy from Winger. You know, I mean, I'll always be the you know the guy from Quiet Riot after being <laughs> in the band. You know, when I go back to my home, my home you know, no one talks about Hooker Deblo or Hotel Diablo or whatever new project. They go, oh yeah, you playing Quiet Riot because it's the most popular you know brand that I'm associated with. Right. So you know, why not? Why not let it evolve? I mean, and it's just it's, it's it's art, you know. Yeah, I definitely don't agree with that whole the whole idea of just calling it a day because, okay, there's definitely no real money in you're on the music. No. But that doesn't mean you shouldn't do it as artistically because, you know, some of these guys, I mean, Jamie Lane, working with Jamie, he always was working on a new record, whether it was for Warrant or his side project or his, his, his own solo band. He was constantly writing, and it was great material. I mean, a lot of it didn't even sound like but he was huge. I he was to have another artist before you know. I mean, you can pull out a new song under your band's name, and it can end up being a hit for a new artist, you know. It it's good, but if, if you don't even try to put it out, what's the point, you know. He's
0: yep. giving a shot. What was that band he had on the side that, oh, uh, gosh, they were so good. Yeah, be- what?
1: Jabba yeah, walking, Yes. That, I listened to that, yeah, the, oh, had, that, that was, that was a part, yeah, I, he, he had a record called Back Down the One, which was just under of the Janie Lane
0: name. Yeah, and Saints um, of the Underground was one, too. Oh, no, Saints of the Underground, yeah, that was Blue Blosser and, uh, and, uh, Terry Kelly,
1: yeah.
0: They had some good, that was a great one, I, I really loved that, that was, that was pretty awesome there, because I didn't really G- expect G- that from, G- from him.
1: Uh, well, that, you know, Jamie was one of those guys that could, I mean, he would come over to my house, pick up my acoustic guitar, and in five minutes, write like, a most beautiful, well-put-together platform, Just it, it just naturally flowed out of him. I mean, he was such, he, I don't think he ever got the credit he deserved as a songwriter. I don't think so either. And be, because, he, be, you know, they associated him with Cherry Pie, which, you know, he didn't really <laughs> want to do, but the label insisted on it. So, I mean, you listen to a song like Uncle Tom's Cabin or I Saw... Uncle right? Tom's Those
0: Cabin was
1: great. Well, crap. Uncle Tom's Cabin, I mean, it's just it's a well-put... I don't care what genre of music you're in, that's a well-put-together song. That could be recorded by a country artist, that could be recorded by, you know... It's, it's, a good song is a good song. And he yep. definitely had it, man. I mean, there was... I've seen him, you know, I mean, literally pick up the guitar and write a hit in five minutes. And I, you know... And he wouldn't even write it down, he'd, and he'd forget it the next morning. He'd just, you know. And I'm like, "You you remember that song last night? I, I should have recorded it. Well, song, you know, he'd, he'd been drinking, obviously, and, you know, he'd forget. He, he wouldn't even, he'd be hammered and not even know what he would, but this music would come out of him. It was amazing. You know? yeah. and, it, and when he got sober, it was even better. He wrote even better shit. He was cognizant and, and documented it. I mean, I have a song here that he wrote lobby well, I mean, him and I kind of, I guess you could say, collaborated on. And all I had to write on was a stack of index cards, like the recipes in the kitchen. And he wrote all the lyrics on index cards and, and the chords. And the song, I mean, it was never recorded, but he just threw it down. It was, I mean, it was it was a song that would probably take most guys a month, like a week to write through the craftsmanship. And he did it in general, almost on the fly. Very impressive. Wow. Wow. So before I let
0: you go, because I know we're time's getting short here, what's your favorite Quiet Riot song? We got, we, we, got
1: we, we, we got a few more minutes. I'll catch you out a little bit. We're
0: good. Okay, so your favorite yeah, Quiet Riot
1: yeah. song to perform live? Um, my favorite Quiet ride song to perform live? I would probably have to say Metal Health, Bang Your Head.
0: Yeah,
1: um, yeah. Because it's, it's, we, we close with it and it's, you know, we, we always close with some of our noise and then Metal Health. and That song just Really sums up that the fans, the record, the attitude, and it's it's just people go crazy when you you put you hear those three chords in the beginning and people lose it. It's, yeah, it's, it's more so than "Tennessee" or "The Noise" because it's just such an anthem. It's just so simple, you know. It's literally you know three chords, but it's the the power of that song, especially loud through a loud PA. You know, yeah, that's that's the one for me. Yeah. All yeah. right. What what about a quiet ride
0: song that you'd like to, you've never played live,
1: but you'd love to play live? Uh, that's a good question. We've played a lot of them over the years. Um, uh, you know, honestly, I don't, I don't know. I don't <laughs> know if there is one. Um, uh, you know what? There's a song called Stomp Your Hand, Clap Your Feet. Okay. That is. It's, it's. I think it's off condition, so it's. It's. It's definitely you know the kind of a TV sort uh, and thing, but I think it'd be pretty cool, in, in at certain types of shows like big festival shows, big sing things, you know. But um, you know, it's, you know, another another one really simple, but I think it's, it would be cool, you know, live. So right. I like to, I like to hear how it sounds and then you know then make up my mind, but. Yeah, I, I, I We've never delved into that one, so probably the, I can stop your
0: and clap your feet. Yeah, and one of my favorite Quiet Riot songs is "Wild and the Young." I know that was off QR three, but that one was. Yep. Yeah, that video is hilarious. I love that video. But before, before uh, yeah, right. What's it like working with Chuck Wright? He's like the journeyman, the guy that you know. I, I thought it was funny on the documentary how he he always said, "Yeah, I, I did. I did the
1: work on Metal Health, but I
0: didn't get credited for."
1: <laughs> well, you know, he got credited for it. He, played, he played. He played on two songs on Metal Health. He played uh, "Don't Want to Let You Go" and he played the title track. And okay. Then Rudy played the rest. Um, but yeah, Chuck's always, you know, I mean, because Rudy was the he was the face of the band. He was in all the videos and he had the Randy Rose Ozzy connection. He he, he was kind of the guy. Um, you know, and he was a full member of the band. I think Chuck was a work for hire at that point. I'm not sure though, but. Um, Chuck's, Chuck's an amazing musician and it's, I like working with him because him and I are, are really opposite type people. You know, he's a lot, he's older than me, he's into more progressive rock, he's, you know, he's definitely more, you know, into the muso side of, of rock and not really into the, the dirty, you know, Guns and Roses, Molly Crue end of it. Like, right. uh, you know, which is, but it's a great dichotomy because if you have, look at it this way, if, if if you if you're a Kiss fan, do you remember the Tom Slider interview on Kiss? Oh Moses gosh, Ace? yeah, so yes. Okay, now okay. See, see, that that would be me sometimes, and Chuck would be Gene just oh, sitting Lord. there pissed off in the corner. So, but imagine that interview if you had two aces and two Gene. Oh it wouldn't wow, work. no. See, it, so so if I mean Chuck and I are kind of very different, but we we, we balance everything out. You need that. If you had two A's Freelys up there, it'd be a disaster. If you had two G's up there, it'd be like watching paint Yeah, exactly. So you need you need the strengths and the weaknesses of both t- types of personalities to make that that uh, dynamic. I mean, I I'm pretty sure most of the great bands out there they're all different dudes, but oh, you yeah. put it all together and make it makes for the perfect stew. You know? Yeah, and and the last and that's, that's what I. It, and just like a big brother to me too, we've been through so much together. Yes, you have. You, know, you got have. We, we, yeah, I mean, we've we've been through so much, and we always talk about it. It's like you know, he calls me and my, his little brother, and you know, it's uh, you know, it, it's always it's we always have a good laugh, and you know, take the piss out of each other, and you know, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's it's great, to, and it's also I think I I, I know I've learned a lot from him, and I, I'm pretty sure he's he learned a lot from me. Right. You know, just us being from different generations and different backgrounds. You yeah. know, it's, it's it's good to surround yourself with people that are different.
0: Oh, yeah, definitely. definitely. It would you know? be a boring place if everybody was the same.
1: Yeah, Absolutely. I mean, you need four different personalities in a band to make it work, you know. I mean, Kevin and Frankie, for example. Frankie, you know, very organized, very all business. And, and Kevin was good, but Kevin was the life of the party yeah you know, yeah he was he was that but that's what that's, he's a front man and that's what you need exactly now if you had if frankie was trying to be the star of the show over playing and you know getting up by the kit and you know being a goofball that wouldn't work but it, and if kevin was just trying to be subdued and lay back and let the rest of the band be the entertainers that wouldn't work you need you need the yin and yang you know
0: definitely definitely so any chance we'll see a
1: new album from Quiet Right? Uh yeah, there will be new music released at some point Um okay. with Frankie on drums because he left a lot of content behind. Um, that's awesome. And that's all I know right now. We're, we're trying to figure it out. I mean, with, with the pandemic and everything, it's really yeah. You got to get a question whether or not it's worth it putting out new music now because you can't tour to promote it, and people are just you know. With all that's going on in the world right now, I, you know, people are focused on other shit. You know, I, I think, I think we will. I, I know we will. I think the question is just is is of when when it's going to make sense for everybody involved.
0: You know. Yeah, as crazy as but, yeah. it is out there, yeah. the right. only, the only two things I have to look forward to is sports and music. And I mean, if you guys well, yeah, put well, something exactly. out, you know that. You know, anytime I see something. New come out, I check it out. But uh, last, yeah. last thing, I, and I can't let you go without this. What was it like working with Frankie?
1: I mean, working with Frankie was. I mean, we we, were, we worked together for seventeen years, and he was he was almost he was like a dad to me. I mean, you know, I moved to LA, I was I joined, I met him when I was like twenty six or twenty seven, and yeah, you know, he he was very very stern and definitely. Made me earn my place in that band. At first, he didn't know what to think of me because you gotta remember, I came in with Kevin from Kevin's solo band. And now Kevin's saying, this is the new guitar player. This is how it's gonna be. And Frankie's like, okay, but he, I'm not just gonna get a free pass from Frankie just as Kevin said stuff. I had to prove myself to Frankie. And, you know, he definitely was, you know, very on me about, you know, things like, you know, get, getting my timing together and getting, tightening up my playing and my behavior off stage. And, you know, I mean, he was definitely, he, he was on me, but it was for the right reason, because he, looked, he, he said, you know, he said, he goes, I love you, I want you to do the best you can. So when if you are doing something fucked up, or, you know, musically or whatever, I'm going to tell you, because I want you to get better, because I care about you, you know? Exactly. And that was, that meant a lot, that meant a lot, because a lot of these guys, they just want to show up, get paid, and go home. But he yeah. would take it a point to, you know, you know walk me through the set and say hey you're playing this part too fast you gotta let this breathe because he genuinely cared and Ke- and kevin too they took the music very seriously they they would they would have good times bad times ups and downs but they always bonded over the music because they did take it very seriously um which you again the, you a lot of these bands that you know they put out these records on you know on on various labels that just give them an upfront advance and they try to make it for as little money as possible and just throw it out there and keep the rest of the money. And at the end of the day, it's not it's not good because they didn't put a lot of time in and it you know it it shows. I mean, the last record that Kevin and Frankie did together is called Re, called Rehab. Yeah. Um, and it came out in 2006, and I remember they spent a lot of time and money in the studio, and knowing they weren't going to make the money back. Because you know, at that point, you know, no one was really buying this kind of music, um, <clears throat> but they did it purely for, for the, you know, for the respect and the reverence for the art form. You know,
0: you know, you're only as
1: good as your last record, so make sure it's good. Yeah. And they took a lot of pride in that record. I and, I, and Kevin, I know it was Kevin's favorite record because he got to do a duet with Glenn Hughes, and he got to do some more bluesy shit. And him and I wrote a couple songs that that sort of, you know, helped us bond a little more. Because, you know, when you it's only to play pre-written songs with somebody, but when you create with them from the ground up, you have, you instantly form a bond that's far different than just stepping in and doing a cover gig, you know? Yeah,
0: that's definitely right. And, you know, the people people don't realize, and this is what I try to say a lot of times, Quiet Ride is like the the band that paved the way for all these metal bands to get on the charts because before... Before Metal Health came out, there was no... I mean, I'll I, I listen to, like, old Top 40, Casey Kasem Top 40. Before Metal Health came along, there was no metal bands in that Top 40. Wow. Yep. Metal Health paved the way for these guys, and it opened the floodgates because everybody went by that formula after that, and, and, and it just... You well, know. You, know, you
1: know what? They were like the Nirvana of, of what Nirvana did for 90s grunge. Quiet Riot for '80s metal. Exactly.
0: Where, where once
1: Snow of the Team Spirit came out, all of a sudden, every fucking band in Seattle was getting a record deal thrown at them, you know, and it, it, it was, I mean, almost, I mean, almost identical. And yeah, Quiet Riot, you know, they, were, they 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 struck gold and all of a sudden, all the gold people, all the people who digging for gold knew where to look on this trip. And yes. you know, that's a, that's a big, a big piece of history there, you know. And, and, um, exactly. And it yeah, doesn't get mentioned enough. Well, you know what it is, that cause this kind of music in general, I think, has always been to the critics kind of like looked down upon. You know, I mean, you know, it's, it's funny. It's, like, you know, a new Elvis Costello record comes out and it gets three pages of Rolling Stone. A new Choir writer record comes out. They don't even mention it. You know,
0: well, you know, I Rolling mean, Stone, to me, Rolling Stone has never. I got it in the 80s for a while. But Rolling Stones, as far as that goes, I'm—I don't look too much into that. As far as critics go, and I mean, I'm—I'm I'm definitely not a critic, but you know, I don't put too much in what they say either. That's what—that's music, no. movies, or anything <laughs> like that. Well,
1: well, well, much like the people on Blabbermouth, that like to bash anything. They're failed musicians. Like, I—I dare fucking tell you, half the people on Blabbermouth are there either play guitar, bass, or drums. That say that we shouldn't continue and we're just a cover band. If got if they got a phone call say, hey, quiet right needs a new bass player, those guys would be on a fucking plane in five minutes exactly. You know? exactly. they 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 would they would they all want to do what we're doing. And critics the same way. Critics and a lot of times, you know, these guys, they wanted to be in the band, it didn't work out, they get bitter. So what what better way to get back at the industry than to have some sort of dubious power they think they have, which at the end of the day Blabbermouth is fun to read but it has absolutely zero impact on what anyone does for your life. Nobody, <laughs> I got news, I don't want to burst anyone's bubble here but we're not sitting here waiting to see if we get approved on Blabbermouth <laughs> before we make a move. You know? Exactly. It, it means, I mean, it literally means less than nothing. I mean, it's it's funny but it's funny that, you know, everyone's, everyone's got an opinion and I'm sure if there was a Blabbermouth back in the late 80s, early 90s, you'd be Seeing people talking about you know wait they got rid of Stephen Adler, I think I'm not sure Oh, Goods and Roses is over now. I uh, hear yeah. you would have seen that, yeah, you know don't I mean, you that's, that's exactly what 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 happened
0: don't you just miss the days and I do I miss the days and it's nice that I'm able to pull up on iTunes or whatever or or, or social media, but don't you just miss the days when you just used to go to a record store. Or when you go to a magazine rack and pick, pick up Hit Parade or Circus or Metal Edge magazine, it, you know it was so simple. I miss the days of having a hard copy in my hand.
1: Well, you know what? You know back then it was it it, it kept the magic in I mean, the means mystique and the magic because you walk into a record store in 1990, they have 15 hard rock hard rock albums that, that are out, and you, those are your choices. You can't download. You can't. Okay, I don't like Mr. Big, but I heard this new band, and I could find them on Spotify now. It's either you know Motley Crue, GNR, Tesla, Mr. Big, Poison, Warring, or nothing. And that's what made those bands so much bigger because we were kind of forced to know what was going to be on our playlist. MTD played what they wanted to play, and if they didn't play it, we didn't know about it. We could not go online and see what else is out there. We got. We got Headbangers Ball, and we got their top 10 countdown every day, and that was what you got. It, yeah. Either you like it or you don't. And after you hear a certain song 12 times a week, you're going to like it.
0: <laughs> you're going to buy it.
1: That's why, that's why it was big back then, you know. I mean, there were certainly things that came out that stood out more, like open like, Appetite for Destruction came out.
0: Yeah. You know, definitely. and then like
1: Nirvana, you know, those were those game changers. But, you know, now – any band's song is available at anyone's fingertips, so it it makes it a lot less special. And and any band, you, I mean, you can you can go on have have you know the singer for your favorite band do a cameo birthday shout out for five hundred bucks for you now. I mean, the mystique is completely gone. You know, it's not. You know, rock stars used to be like these untouchable gods that you, you know you never saw in person, and you know now they're. It's just you know you can follow them on Twitter and see them what they
0: have for breakfast you know yeah that's <laughs> pretty much the same it's with, world it's the same with with sports it's the same with movies it's the same with music with everything is is different a lot different than it was back then I I really I really miss those days but look I'm not going to take up any more of your time Mr Grossi. I've really enjoyed talking to you man is there anything yeah, you guys... you know
1: what, you, say, say, thank you for giving thank you for giving me a platform. We're not looking forward to seeing the final product and yeah I appreciate it I
0: appreciate you and you had good questions too, so that was easy yeah, did, did yeah. You, know, any, you didn't never calling was <laughs> <You know? laughs> well i i don't i don't I don't think you'd want to answer all that but uh any any new projects coming up besides quite right i know uh, anything going on with hookers and blow. Hookers and Blow's got a lot
1: going on, actually, right now. We uh, we just finished our record. It's being mixed and mastered right now, and it comes out May 21st worldwide. We're wow, i looking forward to that. Yeah, we're doing a limited run of vinyl, and um, we're going to, you know, and we have a lot of tour dates coming up. So whenever you post this article, link my Facebook to it. Yes, so sir. So can see where we're going to be. Um, but, yeah, no, we have a, a lot going on. And, actually, Hookers and Blow is... One of the few bands that is really, really doing well during the pandemic because we were able to finish our record and the shows that we do, you know, we, we're not asked we don't ask for a stupid amount of money and and all the, you know, we're very, very easy to to, to book and deal with and, you know, it's it's a, it's, a, it's a side project that's meant to be fun, you know. Right. I mean, so we were uh, and people need that right now. They need fun and they need to be distracted i mean i did an interview with hustler magazine a couple of days ago for hookers and blow for the music section and this is hustler and it was a day larry flint died actually kind of funny. right yeah and um the guy the, the guy said to me you know he goes i really wanted to do this interview because i think first personally hookers and blow is the greatest cover band in the history of rock and roll person He he meant it Right. Just because of our attitude and the parallels of censorship with our name and Larry Flint and all that, and then he also said he goes, he goes, you're not just good for music, you're good for America right now because everyone's so caught up in cancel culture and being politically yeah. correct and and all that. I mean, not offending anybody, it's like we're called hookers and blow. <laughs> we don't, we don't. Go. You, you want to try to cancel us? Go ahead. <laughs> you, you can't. You can't cancel something that's never been That's never been accepted. Exactly. So go ahead. You know. Well, that's that's, that's the beauty of, of of having a band where you literally don't care because it's your your project, and if it sings, it's your fault, and if it's good, it's your. It's up to you. You you're holding you're holding the bag. So that's that's nice to see the other people appreciating that. You know. Don't
0: you love the fact that? Don't you love the fact that vinyl is making a
1: comeback? Oh, oh, you know that's great because it's, I mean this and it's selling better than ever because I mean, it's a great way to, to to actually make some extra money on your record and you know it's it's I mean we I think we're gonna do like it's like one or two thousand pieces of hard of vinyl and it'll be sold out the first day. Yeah, yeah, definitely um, will. I mean it, it's it's not cheap to make, but it's. It's, it it's, it kind of keeps the hardcore fans satisfied with something because there's something cool about having a piece of, uh, you know, a record or a CD or, a, or something limited edition. Yeah, I mean, it, and hardcore fans love that. Um, it's kind of like being—it's kind of like being back in the day when they had the fan clubs. You know? Yeah, exactly. You, you get the value. You're, You're—you're in a—you're a, a special club and. It's, yeah, and, and it also, artistically, when you have all that real estate to work with to the artwork, you can have a lot of fun. Yeah. You know? I mean, I mean, when, it, when, it, when we were just doing digital, you know how lame it is to hand in a little thumbnail with your logo to iTunes and that's it? Well, you know, you can't, have, you can't have any fun with that. Yeah, and that
0: was, that's the thing I was talking about. When you got in your hand, I used to, with CDs, uh, with cassettes, or with vinyl, what I used to do, I used to love to read the liner notes. You know, because there's oh, yeah. always something great in true. there, and you know, uh, and who played on there, and then you know, bands like Kiss always have something extra in it, like the Love Gun, the the Toy Gun, and stuff like that. <laughs> oh, 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 only they wouldn't tell you
1: who
0: really played on the record. Oh, yeah, well, that, yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. There's sometimes that you didn't know who played or whether it was really live or not, but I won't go into that. But uh, yeah, it's just, well, it's just great to it, have that. Let's
1: just, let's let's just break it down to this. I had never heard of the name Anton Fig until a few years ago. Okay, really? And you know he was playing after. Well, you know, I mean, I heard the name, but Oakwood in the Kiss book—I forgot what book it is—but there's a book where they go song by song, record by record, and just and say who played on
0: it. Yeah, you know? yeah. It's, it's Anton like, Fig played no, no, on most we'll of Dynasty, I think, and Unmasked. Oh yeah. yeah it's like,
1: yep, and and a Kiss Alive is definitely not alive.
0: <laughs> you know. you know that there, there was exactly actually a not. guy that put a a, a bootleg vinyl on uh, on uh, Twitter just a, a couple hours ago when I was looking, and it was uh, Wonderland, I think, in San Francisco, 1976, and he said this is what Alive would have sounded like if it was really live, and uh, oh yeah, exactly, you know. But yeah, that was such a you know it was such a magical time back then, and in the 80s where. Like you said earlier, Headbangers Ball. I didn't have cable, but I was bugging the heck out of friends of mine to make sure they taped Headbangers Ball for me every Saturday night. And that was the best three hours up there.
1: That that was our lifeline to what was going (laughs) on in Hollywood. You know, an interesting fact. You remember GNR Live? Yes, yes. Um, That was not live, that was recorded in the studio. (laughs) <laughs> and you know, they did it at the same. and they did, and they they actually took a live Choir Riot concert and dubbed in the crowd. Oh, really? So well, when you listen, to, when you listen to Reckless Life, that I will, will go back and fact. listen to that tonight. Yeah, you, yeah. When you, when you when you listen to Reckless Life, and you hear the audience that's from a Choir Riot concert because they did it at the same studio that Choir Riot was at. Wow,
0: wow. I did not know that. That's awesome. That so I, well, that's
1: that that was that was that was. Steven Adler, full blown admitted it. I was I was actually with Kevin and Steven, and uh, they were reminiscing about. It was called Pasha Pasha Records. Yeah. And uh, he was like Stephen goes, oh yeah, we just used your crowd because I said I said Stephen, <laughs> how did you guys have such a big? Because think about this: how did they have such a big crowd if they hadn't even gotten signed yet? Because that was the thing that was supposed to be pre-appetite. Yeah. So here you have this band that no one's ever heard of that with, with an arena bind. So I, and I asked Stephen, he goes, Oh, that's just Quiet Riot. And Kevin just looked at me and goes, Really? He goes, Yeah, we took, it took the Quiet Riot crowd and overdubbed it. That was it. And you know what? I, I bet there's people, I mean, you still you, you still thought that was live, didn't you? Uh, definitely, definitely. There's some well, I can tell like, that's not there's, live. There's, and, there's some. And there's, also, and there's also no Santa Claus either, by the way.
0: <laughs> <laughs> like, I'll, I'll tell yeah, you. Yeah, that, that, uh, that, uh, I think it was KISS when they did the reunion tour when they came out with you wanted the best you got the best I, you can definitely tell those unreleased live tracks
1: that they did were not live. No, no, of course not. You know. Yeah, no. I, I, I mean. mean, mean they're, not, they're not even playing live in person now. Yeah, they're backing back in tracks and stuff like that. I just Well, you know what though? I, I, I went to the show pre-COVID and I sat there with my girlfriend and, that, and I've seen KISS a million times, and I gotta say this was the best show they ever done because they finally gave in and did the track, which enabled them to really put on the production—the flying around the right. stage and the and the, the crane. And you know what? I'll take canned canned vocals any day of the week over not, them not doing their big show. Right. This is like a circus. I don't. I don't want. I don't. If I want to see four guys sing great, I'll you know, go to a little bar. And, and and throw a dollar in the fucking fish fist and ask for them to play a YouTube cover and I'm sure they'll be great. I want to see Gene Simmons fly over my head. I don't care if it's like on or not. You know? See
0: that's that's, that's the thing for me. For the, the whole thing that got me I was five years old and my cousin had destroyer and he just showed me the album cover. And anybody that tells you that The look didn't draw them in a little bit. They're lying. Oh, yeah. They were cartoon characters. They they made
1: themselves superheroes.
0: But, you know, I've been since I was five years old. I'm 47 now and I've been a diehard Kiss fan for that long. And, you know, the music is good. I mean, they've they make good music and it keeps me coming back. Uh, but, you know, that kind of music, just like when you, what you guys put out, you don't hear enough of it. And there's some bands now that are trying to come back and make it. You know, keep it going. Some young bands that that I've talked to, and and you know, it's just I just can't get into any of the new stuff here lately.
1: Well, you know, you know what I've noticed with those bands like like, like Crash Diet, you, you know, Hardcore Superstar, and that kind of stuff, and even some of the more even some of the younger ones, the, the, the recording process and the way they make music now, it's so different than what it was back then, where. You rely on technology, you can make everything perfect and have, have it sound like, you know, it's almost too process. You know, there's nothing right. to be said for, and, and, and not to sound like a grumpy old man, but these kids can't play the same way as old school guys can because they, they, they can fix everything in the studio. You don't hear any kind of, any kind of soul. You don't hear any kind of, you know, the human element of, you know, a little bit of a wrong note here or there, or the tempo, tempo speeding up, slowing down. And that was part of that, you know, 80s rock. It was never, I mean, like, Death Lever was like perfect at the studio, but these are those Tesla records and, you know, Poison oh, records. Oh, Tesla, there's yeah. Some there's, there's, there's some real, you know, earthy, crunchy, you know, organic rock on there that's not perfect, you know, and that, that's a band that they can really play.
0: Yeah. You know, and Tesla is one
1: and, of my favorite bands. Oh, they get—they're the real deal. I mean, Tesla, uh, Cinderella is another one. I mean, they—they play all those guys are are monster players, and you gotta be really good to to do that. And it's you you know, just putting on eyeliner and leather pants and like and and doing their hair like that—that doesn't make you one of those bands. You gotta have the vibe. And musically, I have not heard much that has hit me like, oh, this is really good. You know this. This is a good uh, representation of that kind right. of music. Um, you know, like there, there's a big, a dirty honey. I like. Yeah, I, mean, yes, I, 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 I think love dirty honey. One of the closest. Cause they're, that one, they're one of the closest. They're, they're definitely closer than most. I think.
0: Yeah, that when I first heard them play, I was like, "Wow, this is." And I said, "I just hope this is the start of something here. I hope they make it big." So. People, other bands, you know, because it starts a trend, just yeah. like just like it did back in the eighties. like we said, with Quiet Riot, every then all the record companies wanted to sign all these bands that were like Quiet yeah. Riot, and I mean, it it just started, it started a trend, and it started. And I mean, man, gosh, if I could well, go back to that again, gosh. Well,
1: remember, remember in the early two thousands when the strokes came out, and then all yeah. of a sudden it was signing all those other. The White Stripes, the Hives, the Vines, all those bands. And they're all kind of this just indie, cool rock thing. I mean, I didn't like, I didn't care for the music, but I saw that as a mini movement, you know, um, for sure. They definitely broke the door down for some for that whole scene. Oh, yeah. But and you know what? It was gone the next year. It didn't
0: last. It didn't last. It sure did. I was never a big fan of that. There's some White Stripes songs I like, uh, but. And there's a few songs from the other bands I like, too, but it was never anything, nothing, no kind of music has ever hit me like the, the 80s song rock. Right,
1: the songwriting, yeah, the songwriting and that stuff isn't all that great, either. It was more kind of like trying to be indie and cool and, and more about the image. But, yeah, 80s, with 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 80s rock, you had to eat the whole package. You had to have the great songs, have a power ballad, have the look.
0: Yeah,
1: I yeah. Mean, they, 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 they were requirements back then, you know. And 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 they would also keep in mind back then they would develop art they would they would get them put a put some time into them. Now if you don't sell records the first couple weeks you're dropped. Yeah, you know. I mean it's a whole different world now. But it sure is. Anyways, I gotta get I gotta get I gotta get to this interview here. All right, buddy.